We're pretty thrilled to be here. And yeah, Shelly, I am so stoked to finally get this underway. I've like been, I've been like vibrating all day just thinking about this episode. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm in the same way. I mean, you know, I have like a nine to five, but I'm like, I haven't really been paying attention to the nine five, n- my regular job, right? I've been just like really keyed on to this, this right here. I'm so stoked for this. Uh, you know, this, this, I think this podcast is really going to be great and we have a good guest. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, let's just get to it. Uh, So welcome, y'all, to the first episode of Fantasy Feud, a pitcherless baseball show where we are tackling all of the biggest and most relevant fantasy baseball debates each week. I'm Sarah Sanchez. You know me from my Cubs writing at Bleed Cubby Blue, my fantasy work at Baseball HQ, and now at Pitcherless. And I am really thrilled to be joined by the one and only Shelly Verstraight to talk through the hottest fantasy baseball debates with some of the greatest minds in the industry. We'll get to why we picked this format and what we're promising to bring you in a second. But first, I want to bring on our guest, uh, Scott Chu, who y'all know as a senior fantasy baseball analyst at Pitcherlist. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today for the first episode of Fantasy Feud. Yeah, for sure. That was way too much hype for someone like me. It's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to deliver. I'll do my best. But uh, yeah, no, it's really exciting to be here. And, you know, just going through the notes, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so I'm going to pass it to Shelly in just a second to explain what we're, what we're doing here and why this frame. But like one of the things that I thought about a lot with this show I am an old debate coach. So I spent, for those of you who have not listened to my work before, I spent more than a decade coaching national circuit debate. And I think about my fantasy baseball work through that lens all the time in terms of advocating for players, making a case. As I am listening to y'all on every fantasy baseball show, I'm like, I want to know the counter argument for that. I want to know what's going on there. And so every week we're going to tackle some of the biggest debates that are going on in fantasy baseball. And Shelly, you you hit the nail on the head when we're talking about this like within 10 minutes of the conversation. Like if you have ever argued with your favorite fantasy baseball analyst as you're walking down the street, this show is for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I I spend so much time on my rowing machine and also walking my dogs or solo in Soto. And I just, I, you know, just yell out, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, what? this is stupid. I I just absolutely would love to just like debate with someone to be like, why, why are you seeing this way, this thing this way? Because I see it this way. It's it, like, it just, I think it would also help, um, you know, people who are listening to be like, oh yeah, I kind of disagree, but oh, this person is bringing this other thing. So it just, I, I just think it's going to be so much, so much fun. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you so one of the things that I love about this is that there are no right answers in fantasy baseball. Like if you pick one guy in round three versus another guy in round six, there are excellent cases to be made for both sides of that decision. And this show allows us to collapse the broad conversation of all of the players into the narrow conversations of the most controversial debates at each issue. And so we're going to start with a with a pretty meta question for how fantasy baseball works. But this is going to be the driving um, theme of the show, these debates that we want to talk about each week. And, and I want to talk about format. I want to talk about what your favorite formats are and why. And this can be anything from I love my dynasty league over all things to I like a 10 team league versus a 15 team league, daily moves versus weekly moves. And, and I'm going to go to Scott first. Scott, what is your favorite format for your fantasy baseball league? And if you could design a league tomorrow, how would you design it? Yeah. So I'd probably start with, I really love head to head categories and it's not one we necessarily talk about a lot because it, you know, points as hard, you know, points as one thing. And then we've got Roto usually head to head cats, like sort of lives in the middle. What I really like about that particular format is regardless of what categories you use, I'm actually a little less concerned about the exact categories you use. What's really fun about it is it gives you a lot of different ways to build a team, right? In Roto, you might punt one thing because you had to. And even then you're trying to fix it. In head-to-head cats, like you can legitimately say like, I never have to care about that, right? Like I can, I can build a team that's like, I'm never going to care about batting average. I still might win it some weeks because, you know, when Joey Gallo used to get hot, he had a good batting average for a week, right? Like, so, uh, and I also really like the, you know, sort of the, the turnover, like, okay. 
new week, new thing, right? It's not just, it can feel like, so, I play Roto, I like Roto, but it can feel like such a grind in July when I'm like, let's see how I'm going to make up these, you know, 17 stolen bases over the next, you know, three months. Like that, there's there's fun and strategy in that, but I love the head-to-head cats because I can have that decision on how am I going to do that on Sunday, right? Like, how am I, I've got, I've got the weekend. I need three more steals. How am I going to get them? I can really play like some matchup based stuff day to day. Again, you can do that all in Roto, but head to head cats really pulls it out. So I love that. And somewhere between 12 and 14, you know, 12 to 14 teams is good. 16 becomes a lot. Um, and I really like a short bench because what's tough about some, especially if you're in redraft, if you're in dice, you can have a deeper one, but when you're in these deeper leagues with a really big bench, you don't get to make that many decisions because all the players you're going to have are already gone right? You make lineup decisions based on what you have, but there is no like scouring the waiver wire, right? You're like, Oh, look, somebody got six plate appearances last week. Bring them in. Right. They they're getting plate appearances, but I really like the shorter bench because I, I want to have that tough call of, do I cut my slumping outfielder for the hot new guy? Like that's where the fun is for me making that call. And you don't do that when you've got like a 10 man bench, you're like, I'll just keep them both. Right? Like I'm fine. I'll keep going. So I, I like, and again, I don't have too many preferences between dynasty keeper and redraft. I kind of like keeper to some extent, like, you know, if you're only going to have two keepers, I don't necessarily see a point, but if you're going to have five, you know, five or six, that's great. The problem with dynasty of course, is like you get in, you've got a bad squad. You're like, all right, you know, there's some fun. I, I know people love building over the next three to four years, but like I'm super ADHD. I can't do that. <laughs> I need, I need some kind, you know, I want a chance now or soon. Uh, so, so that's probably it for me. 12 to 15, you know, 12 to 14 teams, uh, head to head categories, a couple of keepers. Uh, and I don't even care about the categories, like what they are, as long as they're semi-normal, let's do it. I love a couple of things that you said there. And I want to dive in a little bit before I go to Shelly's preference for her favorite format. But when you were talking about head to head categories, you flagged as one of the things you love, something that is actually the reason I always like grimace about head to head categories. It's a great part of debating out the issues. You can go either way on this. Like head to head categories feel so random to me because I'm like, Marcus Simeon is very good over the course of seven weeks, but these two weeks, I, I definitely lose my head to head for that. But in that sense, it, it mimics more of what you get from like a fantasy baseball or fantasy football type of league, right? Like what your your head-to-head matchup against somebody else is like, well, doesn't matter that you have the most perfect team over the course of 162. You've got to have all of the right ingredients for that week. And as you were talking about the bench, I actually, I couldn't agree with you more on a short bench. I think that getting as much churn in leagues like that for players back in the pool so that other people can pick them up and benefit from them rather than them just all sitting on benches or sitting on ILs is absolutely critical. But I'm curious what you think about in terms of that randomness factor, or is that what draws you to the format? I said, it's my favorite to play. I didn't say it's the best at picking a champion, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to, you're going to win sometimes and you shouldn't have. And, and that's part, I mean, that's part of real sports. The best team in baseball does not win every year. Right. So that's how I justify it in my head. I don't pretend that if you win a head to head categories league, that you're the best fantasy manager in that league. I mean, even in Roto, there's some variance, but yeah, I, I accept the randomness uh, because it's still fun for me. And, and that to me, fantasy baseball boils all the way down to fun. Uh, and, and I like giving myself something to engage with each week. Like I play Todd, I play those other things. And sometimes it's really tough. Like, well, I set my lineup on Monday. I'll check back in in a few days <laughs> with, with no actual thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to look right. Just watch the standings change. Whereas in, in those head to head, I feel like I can do something. And again, super ADHD need to feel like I'm doing something. I love that. Embrace the chaos. And and frankly, like the Braves and Dodgers can tell you a little bit about chaos over the course of 162 in the postseason. So I'm here for it. Love a good head-to-head categories. League Shelly, what is your favorite format to play if you were designing a league tomorrow? How are you designing it? I mean, honestly, I think it's really different between both redraft and like a dynasty aspect. Um, because I've played in both. Um, mostly with redraft, I play, you know, old school roto, right? where it's like weekly pickups on Sunday, you know, you have to do that churn on Sunday, you know, afternoon, you have to like scour all the news that you might've missed over the weekend, all that type of jam. Um, I, I honestly, I kind of like that um, just because I play so many different leagues, right? Like with my 
uh, dynasty leagues, a lot of those are like daily moves. So I have to keep up with, you know, all of the, the prospect, you know, who, all the prospects who might be kind of interesting and I might, you know, want to take a gamble on. And I really don't have the time to, you know, look at like redraft things like, oh, this guy did this thing. This guy did that thing. I'm just like, let me just do just one weekly thing with my redrafts, even though I'm watching games all the time. And then I have my daily stuff when it comes to prospects. Um, but I really do like like the weekly stuff because it's just like a totally different thing. You like you set it and forget it. And that's totally fine. I mean, I get what Scott is saying with the ADHD. Um, I totally understand, but that's why I have my, you know, my dynasty thing where I can just make moves all the time, right? Um, so I get what Scott is saying, but I really just like the set it and forget it. And hey, let's just watch some baseball that day. That's fun too. Yeah, there's something poetic about the weekly grind. I do want to say, if you are not following Shelly, for her prospect work, you are missing out. Shelly is one of my first stops for all things prospect and dynasty rankings. And I, it was truly like this winter when we were drafting um, for the rookie league for first pitchers. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to compile all of the thoughts that the people that I'm drafting against have put together about these prospects and try to turn it into something that hopefully has some way to beat them. But true, one of the best prospect people out there definitely be following. Shelly, for that, I am with you on weekly moves and weekly fab for sure. I love the cadence of that. I am curious what each of you think about daily moves because daily moves are my kryptonite. If I am available when something drops, I will pick it up immediately. And if I missed it by two hours because I was on a different call, I'm just, I, I have noticed that this is a weak spot for me. And Scott, I'll go to you first on the daily versus weekly moves. Yeah. So, my preference is sort of in the middle. I, I sort of like what um, the NFBC has done where you have your first lineup and then you set it again for the weekend. That's probably my favorite. I wish you could do like ads in there and doesn't make sense in that format, but like in my perfect format, that's what I do. Um, it's sort of like waivers run twice, right? They run Sunday night, they run Wednesday night and you can, or Thursday night, you can set your lineup on Friday. That'd be an ideal thing because I just, you know, I also just had twins. So like daily is kind of tough to keep up with, uh, even weekly, to be honest with you. But uh, I'd like the twice, you know, I'd like it more than just once a week though. I like the twice or sort of like what Tout does. If someone gets hurt, you can make that swap, like something that allows you to make some kind of adjustment, but I don't always need it daily. I, oh man, twins. That is, I, I'm like terrified of getting a dog. Cause I'm like, I'm not sure I have enough time for that, that I would require. And I'm like, God bless you, Scott. That is doing all of these leagues with twins is, is the Lord's work. Uh, Shelly, you mentioned that you like the weekly cadence, but that you have a dynasty league that is daily. If you had to pick one, which one would you pick? Honestly, I would kind of go, I would kind of go, I would do the weekly thing. Like, I just like that. I just have one day where I just put all of my energy into pick up seeing where I am in the standings and all that jazz. Um, I, I mean, I like the daily moves, but if you're not like, let's just say you go on vacation, like you go on a long weekend uh, with your, your partner or whatever, and you don't look at any baseball, you know, have fun, whatever. You could totally miss like a major pickup and then you're just going to feel bummed, right? Like that's... Just having like that that weekly, I only have to do, I have to only have to look at my roster this particular day. I think that that is honestly like ideal. Awesome. And so I, I am definitely in on the weekly moves train. I agree with Scott that the NFBC uh, format where you have like some room to maneuver on that Friday is helpful. I actually, and I think I'm borrowing this from Derek Van Riper from a Rates and Barrels old episode, but if not, I apologize for not giving the right shout out here. But DVR once suggested that like the NFBC with a caveat with that injury move like you can do in Tout Wars would really be the perfect solution because there's nothing worse than your guy hits the IL on Monday and it's like, well, that's a wasted spot for <laughs> until, until next Sunday if it's a pitcher, until next Friday if it's a hitter. Like that's always a huge bummer. And so I think that my favorite format and I'm going to need to design a league, I think, that is this format for this year because it's changing. Uh, the 12-team tout mixed league uses alternate categories and has weekly moves with that injury 
caveat on it. And it has been my favorite league to play in the last couple of years. I like that eases on base percentage instead of average. I like that he uses innings pitched instead of wins. And I like that he uses saves plus holds instead of pure saves. I think that those three tweaks combat three of the issues that I have with most standard category leagues, which is that like batting average is not really a thing that drives player value in the same way that it used to. It's not it like it does, but it, it's just like your on base percentage being above 350 is so much more important to me than if you are getting a hit 20% of the time. And so like it, it really changes the valuation for certain players who are on base machines versus those guys who are good at directing the ball into places where they'll have a higher likelihood of a hit. And then just on the wins and saves hide, I'm going to say like, we might talk about this on a future episode, but the, those are dinosaurs in terms of the categories that exist in Major League Baseball. Like one of the things I've noticed in early drafts, and I'd be curious for both of your perspectives on this so far, searching for wins and saves almost feels like you have to pick one of those and hope that it works out for you. And I and you're guessing, like, I don't know, like some, some guys have a better likelihood of getting 10 plus wins, but if they don't pitch to that fifth inning or something weird goes wrong with the bullpen, predicting wins and predicting saves feels like a fool's errand to me. And so I love that 12 team with those alternate categories. It's the categories are staying the same for that tout league this year, but it's turning into a 15 team league, which is going to tweak part of what I love about it because the waiver wire is going to be so different. Like being able to pick up guys for holds in a 12 team league is just so different than looking at the waiver wire on a 15 team league. And I feel like it's going to change how I approach that league a little bit, but I'm curious what y'all think of the alternate category situation. And Shelly, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I was just listening to you talk about that, that league, that Intel. I'm like, dang, I wish I was in that your same league Intel. That sounds amazing. Um, because I mean, I'm in the 15 team, you know, just regular roto draft, um, you know, both AL and NL um, in tout. And I mean, you know, it's just like a regular kind of NFBC league where, you know, it's, it's not a lot of pickups. It's very, it's, it's not a lot of trading. There's no, there's not too many moves, you know, within, you know, within the league. So yeah, but it, just, I mean, honestly, I've only drafted one league this year. It was an NFB, NFBC DC. Um, I picked up, so I drafted um, Bobby Miller and uh, Yamamoto from the Dodgers. They are now a, you know, a six, you know, six man rotation. And then I also picked up Bobby Abreu and uh, the other Astros. Ryan Presley. Ryan Presley. Yes. And that was in my only league so far. <laughs> so it's like I've already down on wins and definitely down on saves. It was just like, yeah, it, it I would just really love some alternate categories. That'd be really fun. Yeah, I love the alternate category. Oh, go ahead, Scott. It, would it be that weird this season if the six man for the Dodgers still got 20 wins? Like <laughs> I mean, they they like, really could. I mean, honestly, maybe. I was just like a lot just, there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I'm not sure that's a six man rotation. That might be a seven or eight man rotation at this point. Fair. They're just banking on a bunch of guys throwing 90 <laughs> innings or so and seeing how that one works out for them. Scott, go, go ahead uh, on the alternate categories. Yeah. So I think the one I want to talk about is innings pitched. Cause I love that. Like the pitcher's job is to get outs, right? Get outs and try not to give up runs. Like wins is just like this roundabout way of figuring that out. But like, if you're already doing ERA and you've got, innings pitched, you're there, right? You're, you're getting exactly what a pitcher is supposed to do because ultimately like, yeah, there's some advantage to getting a strikeout versus like a flyout, but like they're outs, right? You, you got to get three of them per inning. I, I just love using innings pitched over wins or even like quality starts because what's so special about six, right? If your team is constructed to have the starter go five, then like, oh, well, he doesn't get quality starts. He's not as good. No, he's doing exactly what his team wants him to do. Right? His job was to get five innings and he got them. That's why they pulled him. So I just, I love using, like, just get down to the thing we're trying to count. And that's innings, right? Like the difference between a win is five, quality started six. Who cares? Just how many innings did they get, period? 
yeah, I think innings is a really elegant solution for that win category scarcity. Let's jump into some player specific debates. And we have, we have a handful of really good controversies here today. They've each got their own theme, but the first one is honestly just which crews are you signing up for in 2024? And I look at these two players and I just honestly go back and forth. I've, I've, I've come down on either side of this debate multiple times. So if you want Ellie De La Cruz and you are dreaming on the upside for that speed and hit tool combo, you are looking at taking him, uh, as of today, ADP on the NFBC since January 1st, 21st overall. So you're basically going early or late second round, depending on whether this is a 12-team league for you or a 15-team league for you. But once upon a time, we dreamed on that exact same skill set from a guy named O'Neill Cruz, who is currently going 80th, which means you can wait to take O'Neill in the mid-fifth or late or mid-sixth round, depending on your league settings. And frankly... The tools look shockingly similar to me. Both players have exactly 98 games in Major League Baseball. O'Neill has those stretched across three seasons. Ellie has them stretched across one. We don't really know how some of that hit tool is going to play for both of them. They're both like 99th percentile sprint speed dudes. Uh, Scott, I'm going to come to you first. Which crews are you signing up for in 2024? Oh, I was really hoping you'd do Shelly first. Uh, <laughs> this is really hard. Uh, what I... I think I'm going to lean towards O'Neill Cruz, even though I like, like, let's be clear. I love them both. Um, our PLV metrics are, are so, so fun to look at for these young players because both the, both these guys throughout their first, like 1600 pitches scene, their decision values go up. They start really, really bad, like bottom 10 percentile. They come up to league average. Ellie actually goes up a bit for me or not for me for, for decision value. He kind of comes up over average and kind of comes back down. Uh, O'Neill Cruz doesn't quite see quite so many pitches, so he's he's not all the way there, um, but he stays up around league average. And the thing with O'Neill Cruz is not only does he make better decisions, he gets the ball off the ground a bit more. And I I think he'll be a little better at that. Ellie De La Cruz has made better decisions, but and he has better contact ability than O'Neill Cruz, but because he's still quite aggressive, he just hits so many ground balls. And while I think in like Roto or um, you know, like draft champions where you don't really get to make ads. Those, those extra probably 20 steals Ellie De La Cruz gets if they both play a full season are going to matter a lot, man. I, I think I can get those elsewhere. Go after O'Neill Cruz later on. Who's got, I mean, as much or more, probably more power than Ellie does. Uh, and also does come with, you know, 20 to 25 steals or more. We haven't seen what he's going to do in the new rules. All great points. Shelly, which crews are you most interested in, in 2024? Um, I'm definitely going Ellie. I mean, I know that the, the price so far is extremely high and I probably would not take him at his like current draft value, but I, I, even if he like dropped just like a few, a few picks, I would still take Ellie. Um, what bothers me about O'Neill Cruz is a 51.6% strikeout rate against left-handed pitching, um, in 2022, right? Um, and that was like his biggest like major league sample size. Uh, I'm not saying that he's going to do that or hold that or whatever. Um, but it's just like we never really because he got injured this year, we never really saw that development. We've seen um, Ellie De La Cruz. I mean, he had, you know, a roller coaster ride, but we've seen the highs. We've seen the lows. We've seen how dynamic he's been. Maybe it was because I watched way too many Reds games and I got infatuated with Ellie versus I wasn't watching enough Pirates games to be infatuated with, with O'Neal. But I just think that Ellie is just so dynamic, power, speed, everything. And I think O'Neal Cruz might have Ellie maybe on power, but I just don't think that O'Neal can get to the speed that Ellie can, because I mean, I've watched Ellie just, just run at abandon. Like, just like, why are you running there? Oh, you just stole that base. You got that. Like, I have never seen that from O'Neill when I've watched him. So that's when I'm just like, I will take the gamble on Ellie at his price versus O'Neill. I could totally be wrong, but give me Ellie. And then he also plays in great American small parks. So I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> These are both great answers. I'll, I'll show my hand in a second. But I, I, you know, the ballpark is something that I thought about a lot with this question, because 
playing in Cincinnati feels like a little bit of a cheat code to me. And O'Neill Cruz has to play, play those games in Pittsburgh rather than Cincinnati. It's not like Pittsburgh's a terrible place to hit, but it's certainly not a place that's going to amp up those numbers the same way that it will for Ellie. I think the thing that gives me the most pause about Ellie is how crowded the Reds' depth chart is. I really just look at all of those guys on the infield, and you have so many young players with plus tools who are going to be fighting for the exact same playing time. They've got Noel V. Marte and Matt McClain who could both take starts away at shortstop. And it's like when you're drafting in that second round, those first one, two, three rounds, I always I want a guy who I don't have to worry about at all, barring something catastrophic. And I'm not sure Ellie is that guy for me. Shelly, what are you thinking about in terms of that second round pick? Yeah, I mean, the second round pick, I it, it is a bit steep for me. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't take him in the second round. I'd maybe wait to the third. Um, so I probably won't ever draft him this year. Um, but one of the bold predictions that I did for uh, the Rotor World's uh, draft guide is Ellie gets more uh, 20 plus games in the outfield. Why can't he why can't he do a Fernando Tatis thing? You know, put him in like right field. He has the arm. He has everything. They have a crowded infield. Why not? So take the gamble with the more in my opinion, electric player with Ellie versus O'Neill. That's so interesting. Uh, and I, I do like what you said about taking the gamble with the more electric player. I'm, I'm going to put my cards on the table a bit and say that I probably will draft more O'Neill Cruz this year than I will Ellie De La Cruz for all of the reasons that Scott said and the fact that I can make that decision in the sixth round. However, I'm going to draft at least one team this year, and I don't know when. One team this year is going to be centered around Ellie De La Cruz. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I just feel like he's the type of player, for all the reasons Shelly said originally about watching him around the bases, that play in Milwaukee where he like sold second and then third and then home. And it was just like, I'm just going to steal all of these bases because I'm Ellie De La Cruz and I can. is one of the most dynamic things that I've ever seen in sports. And I want to be able to cheer for that guy on my fantasy team as much as I can in real life. So while I will not be deliberately building one team around O'Neill Cruz this year, I will absolutely be building one team around Ellie De La Cruz this year. But it's a it's a tough call. They look like really similar players and they're both so fun. Um, Scott, any thoughts about the ballpark factors or like where you're looking at Ellie and O'Neill from that perspective? Yeah, I'm there's always an advantage to playing in Great American Small Park. Uh, PNC Park is quite a bit deeper. It's harder to hit home runs there. I mean, not when you're O'Neill Cruz and can hit 122 mile an hour line drive, uh, but it is a long way to go. Um, you know, for both guys, the thing, the reason I'm not quite as concerned about the park being different is because both of them, to me, their home run power isn't really dictated by where those fences are. It's about whether they get that ball off the ground. Both these guys hit the ball really, really hard. These they're, they're not going to hit a lot of wall scrapers, right? They really just need to get the ball up in the air. And with that power, it'll naturally carry itself. Yeah, there might be a couple more in, you know, in Cincinnati than there are in Pittsburgh. But to me, really the difference is if one of them gets the ball off the ground, you know, gets that ground ball rate, maybe down to like 40% instead of the 45 or like 48 and 53 or something that Ellie and O'Neill have, they're going to be the one that gets the most home runs by quite a bit because again, that power is so real for both of them. That's a really great po point about how neither of these dudes are hitting wall scrapers, right? Like these are not the DJ LeMahieu home runs that are going to disappear when the ball changes. Um, one last fact that I'd love to add to this debate before we move on a little bit. If you look at the auction calculator values, they're, they're not entirely sure which of these players is going to have a better season this year or not auction calculator off of steamer projections has O'Neill Cruz putting up $13.9 worth of value. This season has Ellie really close behind at $11.5 worth of value. Those two dudes for the record would be in the same tier for me. The difference is that 40 picks of draft capital and how you build your team. Like I think if you build an Ellie team, you're building an Ellie team and that's a boomer bust situation. If it works for you, it's going to work phenomenally. And if you, and if it doesn't work for you, well, that's going to be really hard to make up that second round pick later. Uh, let's move to a slightly different question, a question that is built around some deeper players and decisions you need to make later in your draft. But one of the things I worked on earlier this week for our friend Joe Arico uh, was looking at hard to rank players. And 
I thought about this through the lens of two players who were traded for each other on the last day of 2023. And so as we think about this moving into 2024, Von Grissom and Chris Sale swapped teams. We've got Von Grissom, who is definitely going to get a chance to play. He is going to be the second baseman for the Boston Red Sox. That's a plus hit tool that we have all been waiting for for at least a year now. And it didn't seem like the Braves were really interested in giving him that playing time because of some defensive concerns. Chris Sale, when healthy, is an ace of aces. He looks as good as any pitcher in the business. The problem has never been the stuff. It has never been the strikeouts. It has always been keeping Chris Sale and his temper on the field. And so I love a good trade. I love this value for both teams. But I am curious, if you have to choose one of these guys who is going to have a bigger impact for his new team, which guy is are you on the side of? And this time we'll start, start with Shelly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as you could tell, I am a Red Sox fan, so this is probably not a um, a fantasy relevant uh, uh, discussion here. Um, I definitely um, like Chris Sale more than Von Grissom. Um, Von Grissom is going to be like a fine hitter; like he, he has like excellent bat to ball skills, everything. He doesn't hit. He doesn't have too much power. He doesn't have you know, a lot of speed, but you know, he's going to, he's probably going to play a lot because the Red Sox stink at second base. <laughs> um, so they're just going to let him go there. Um, but he, again, he's going to hit like seventh, eighth in that lineup. So it's just going to be kind of like a more of like a batting average vibe there. Um, honestly, if I would, if I would take a gamble on either, it's going to be sale. I mean, I don't have any trust with him whatsoever, but I mean, if you get maybe two or three of the starting pitchers and you want to take a gamble of maybe Chris sale, you know, returning back to what Chris sale used to be. Uh, I mean, like listening to interviews that he has done since he got traded, like he, seems all in he's like yeah i've already been throwing i feel fine i am ready to go that's what you want especially for someone's going to pitch with the braves you know he's going to get a lot of wins um so i mean if i had to pick any of these two guys to have on my fantasy baseball team it would definitely be chris sale over chris yeah, it's. I mean, I admit that this is a little bit of me forcing a choice where there isn't a forced choice. You could easily draft a fantasy baseball team that has both Chris Sale and Von Grissom on it, and you would be just fine. So I'm kind of taking a major league baseball question and turning it into a fantasy question a little bit. But I hear you on Chris Sale, and one of the things that I think will be really interesting for him in particular, he goes from being the ace of a staff, which he has been basically his entire career. He was an ace with the White Sox. He's an ace with the Boston Red Sox to being like, their number three starter. And I'm really not sure how that plays out for Chris Sale, the competitor. Like, I'm sure it will be fine, but it also, he has always been so, he, we see his emotions. There are some players who show us what they're feeling and there are some players who don't. And I feel like Chris Sale is not a guy who hides what he's feeling very well. And so I'm just wondering how that role shift might play out for him in Boston. Scott, which of these guys are you more willing to bank on as you build a fantasy roster in 2024? So the only path where I pick Vaughn Grissom is an only league because I know he's going to play right. And the replacement value is basically zero in an only league. So Vaughn Grissom is going to play. And I agree with Shelly. I mean, he's going to be fine. Maybe double digits of both home runs and steals with some batting average and as many counting stats as are available as an eight hitter in a lineup that will probably be very volatile this year between Trevor story and Tyler O'Neill. And whether, uh, you know, whether any of those pieces really work out the way we hope, like there's a lot of upside in that lineup and a lot of downside. So that's the part where I pick Grissom. But if you told me it, you know, the way I've been thinking about it is kind of like this. If you told me one of these guys earned $1 and the, and the other one, other one earned negative value, which, which was which right. Grissom probably earned a dollar. And Sale probably got negative because he got shelled twice and never pitched again, right? But if you told me one of them earned $15 this season, the only one I see doing that is Chris Sale. There's just no path really for Grissom unless he dramatically changed the type of hitter that he is. I'm not saying that can't happen. Uh, it, it does. Occasionally, we see guys like all of a sudden start hitting home runs or maybe he starts running a ton even though he's not that fast. But maybe, 
right? Like, but the path is Chris Sale. It's because Chris Sale pitched 140 innings and he did it really, really well, right? That's how he returns the value. I see that path. I just don't see it for Grissom. So most leagues I play in are a little more on the shallow side. Uh, replacement level is not zero. So I'm going to go after Sale because I want that $15 upside, right? But, you know, again, in that only league, sure, Vaughn Grissom, because like he's probably going to earn somewhere between like zero and $3 somewhere, right? Um, just probably not more. So if you're like extreme risk averse, you go that path. But no, if you want to have fun or, you know, win in a shallower league, you got to take Chris Sale because that's where all the upside is. I do love the way that you have combined fun and risk there, because I think that that is one of those things that's very true in fantasy baseball. And for the record, uh, the auction calculator on Steamer is exactly with Scott on this. Like it projects Grissom for $1.6 worth of value. And look, I don't think he could have landed in a better park for that hit tool. Like I think that Fenway is going to amp up his batting average. He will get some extra hits off the monster. Like Shelly is right that the power isn't really there for Grissom, but he doesn't need that type of power in Fenway to be a guy who comes scores a lot of runs, gets a lot of RBIs, adds some extra bases, those types of things, the park that should really play to his skill set. But the auction calculator value for Chris Sale is $15. Like it's $15.3 if I remember correctly. And that is just so different than the $1.6 that it sees for Grissom. Chris Sale strikes me as the type of guy that you could win your league if he hits, whereas Grissom strikes me as the type of guy you might replace in June. Or May. Or May. <laughs> so, you know, I think the one thing I want to say about that is, you know, projections. The, the three of the players we've talked about are so tough for projections. That's Ellie De La Cruz, O'Neill Cruz, and Chris Sale because their range of outcomes is so wide. The projections have to pick one, right? So they sort of like go in the middle, which is like the last thing we expect to happen, right? Like we don't really expect them to be somewhere in the middle. We expect probably one of the two wider outcomes. At least we do in the draft room, which is why projections aren't a draft sheet on their own because projections don't show you what this player could earn. They just show you what we think is the most likely, but, but not, it doesn't tell you upside. It doesn't tell you downside. Whereas, you know, so with Grissom, like we actually know the range of outcomes for him is probably pretty tight, right? Sale. It's huge. Ellie De La Cruz. It's huge. Like Ellie, De, they have sale for 15 bucks because they projected him for probably like 140 something innings. Right. I think most people have strong opinions about whether it's going to go under or over that. Right. So that's, that's where I'm not saying the projection is wrong. Cause I think that's right. If that happens, but it doesn't really talk. It can't really show you in the projection that much what it looks like. Like what's the risk assessment on getting to that value. Wow. That's a really great point in terms of how projections work and like what we're talking about here. And incidentally on Chris sale, I would just like to hear from both of you, how many innings you think Chris sale is going to, is going to throw this season. And I will just state for the record, uh, Chris sale hasn't thrown more than 150 innings since I believe 2018. And so it's one of those situations where it's like, the range of outcomes for sale is so big. I'll, I'll stake my claim first since I've been making y'all go first so far. I think Chris Sale pitches 90 innings. And the question is where those 90 innings fall and whether he has any bad innings within there. I'll go 120. I I think 120, he, he can get like, I'm still hedging though, right? Because I don't think he'll actually get to 120. I think he either gets like 140 or he gets like 75. But um, I'll, I'll lean closer to the, closer to the 140. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm playing like prices right here. Like I'm going like 110 and I feel like really bad about that. But that was before Scott said 120. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I think it's going to be like this really interesting thing because I mean, I hear all the good things and, and it's like Sale has always said good things. He feels healthy, but he also like broke his hand falling off a bike. Like it's just like weird really weird stuff when it comes down, but I don't know. I'll go with, I'll go with 110 and you know, you could, you know, pitching for the Braves, you could probably get like seven wins with 110. Innings. <laughs> Especially if he comes out, you know, I think the one thing in spring that will really make this an even easier decision, right? Is if he comes out in the spring and he's thrown closer to like 94, than like some of the 91, 92 we saw th during the season, that mm -hmm. that draft price is just going to change dramatically like really fast. Like it's just instantly going to be like new man pick every day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the draft price for both of these guys, you might be making a decision between them in the mid rounds of your draft, depending on how your draft board shakes out. Uh, Von Grissom currently has an average ADP since January 1st of 338, but that mid pick is at 132. 
The max pick is at 454. Congratulations to whoever got Von Grissom at pick 454 in a draft after January 1st. That is wild. I'm guessing this is one of the first pitch Arizona drafts where he wasn't a viable player early. And then all of a sudden we started those drafts again. And it's like, yo, I'm taking Von Grissom. Um, Chris Sale, by the way, has a current ADP of 176 with a min pick of 108 and a max pick of 238. So a much tighter range there for sale, but not inconceivable that you could find yourself in the middle rounds of a draft wondering if you should go with the Red Sox second baseman or if you should go for the upside with Chris Sale. It sounds like all of us are in on the upside for Chris Sale if that choice is forced upon us. All right. It would not be a Sarah Sanchez debut podcast if we didn't talk about Wilson and William Contreras. So uh, I decided today that for our last debate before we close out and do some thank yous and whatnot, uh, we're going to talk about which Contreras we want to capture. And I think this is a much trickier question than I thought it would be originally. The more I look at both of them, I go back and forth on which Contreras I would rather draft. And so I'm going to start with Shelly this time. Shelly, we've got a couple of really good options here at catcher. They're right in that range of being in the top five to 10 catchers. So you're not taking like, one of your earliest picks, you're not necessarily taking catcher in the fourth round or something like that, but they offer slightly different packages and I find them both intriguing. Who's your Contrera? Huh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'm going with the older brother and, and Wilson, um, especially like with where he is currently going. Um, I know that last year was rough for, you know, Wilson Contreras fans. Um, I had him in a whole lot of leagues. I've been a fan of his for a while. Um, but yeah, it was kind of rough, but he still got to 20 home runs, six steals. He hit 264. I mean, what more could you want? I mean, that's kind of what you expected. Um, and then with William uh, Contreras, you know, with the Brewers, um, he hit extremely well, but it's just it just seemed like that is like the peak that I thought that he could get. So in my opinion, I think that he is going to come down a bit. So maybe it'll be like a tie, right? Between Wilson and William. So give me the, the guy who's going later. Give me Wilson. It's an interesting question uh, with both of them because they, they both have slightly different skill sets. And I actually recall an interview that they did when Wilson was still on the Cubs where Cubs social media team like it's like a 10 minute interview where they kind of say which brother's the better hitter which brother's the better catcher all of that jazz and when they got to the hitter question Wilson pointed at William and William pointed at himself and I was like huh that's interesting that the two of you concur that William is the better hitter but when I look at some of their stat cast metrics I'm just really not sure Wilson Contreras hit a ball last season 117 uh, 0.3 miles per hour. Now, admittedly, it was a grounder that I believe turned into a double play. And I'm fairly certain that happened at Wrigley Field on a day that I was watching Wilson Contreras play against my favorite team. But he hits the ball in that same elite range of guys like Jordan Alvarez and Aaron Judge. Wilson Contreras absolutely smokes the baseball. William Contreras has a max AV of 113.9, but a better hit tool from the looks of it. His average has been higher in a lot of years. And he's certainly a fixture for a Brewers team that does not have a lot of offensive options to rely on. Scott, who would you rather have, William or Wilson? I'm not doing this just to suck up to you. Uh, I will pick Wilson Contreras. Uh, you know, there, was, there was a few things that while I was kind of, when I first did this, I said, oh, William, right? Like I was pretty sure. One, again, this is a little bit of useless trivia. I forgot that Wilson Contreras hit more home runs than Wilson or than William last year. Right. Like if you had asked me if that was the case, I would have been like, no, there's no way that's true. But it's actually 20 for Wilson and uh, 17 for William. Right. And William played the, the whole season. Right. So, again, I think there's more power there. This would have been an even easier question if William Contreras hadn't dropped his strikeout rate down to like 20 percent last season. That was a big deal. Uh, that was a big thing that was really holding him back. It really unlocked some of that batting average. It maybe was a little bit fluky in 2022. It really solidified in 2023. I think that's there. Uh, but with Wilson, number one, a few catchers have been this dependable. You know, it was kind of interesting to see what was going to happen when he left Chicago. I remember talking to you, Sarah, in 2022, first pitch, just about how like his spent almost his entire adult life as part of the Chicago Cubs organization. So going to St. Louis could have been a big change. There's a lot of mental things that could be happening there. But even with all the jerking around that happened and him not being the catcher and being catcher, he still put up Wilson Contreras numbers, right? 
And as I've been writing my, you know, I'm doing my uh, rankings for the PitcherList site for when we launch in, in February. And I've sort of had this same approach at Catcher where it's like, if I don't get like one of the first ones, like if I don't really grab like Adley or something like that, I'm going to wait. Just I'm just going to wait and wait and wait and just take value at Catcher. And that's going to be Wilson every time. I just don't think that the, by waiting, like the number of picks I get to wait is worth a lot more to me than the extra dollars that William could earn. Again, William, it's all ups. Like there's more upside there. Like, could he hit 27 home runs? Sure. Will Wilson? No, <laughs> like he won't. But um, in terms of just consistency, I think the counting stats will be a little bit better for William, but I think they'll both play plenty, right? Like 120, 130 games. So I'll take the dependability. I'll take the the devil I know versus the devil I'm not entirely sure I know uh, with, Wils- uh, with Wilson Contreras. And again, not just sucking up. I could have been, but I'm not. <laughs> I cannot believe y'all are about to make me be the person who takes William Contreras on my podcast, but I'm going to, I'm I'm going to be the girl who takes William. No. And I have, I have in multiple drafts. I have way more shares of William Contreras this year than I have of Wilson. Now I contend that it's because in every draft room I'm in, Wilson doesn't get to me. Like whatever round Wilson is going to go in, there are 12 to 15 people who are like, absolutely not. Wilson's not getting back to Sarah Sanchez. And so I think that this is a little bit of a plot at this point, but that's okay. I'm here for it. And I'm happy to be associated with my literal favorite player who is behind me. A couple of things that are really interesting here that go to what both Scott and Shelly said. So Williams ADP right now is 79. He is going almost 70 picks before his older brother, Wilson, who has an ADP of 143. Since January, that's a lot of rounds that you can wait on catcher while you see how things shake out. And for the record, there's a handful of guys who go in between them who are also super interesting and guys who could anchor your catching staff. So it's not like you have to choose a Contreras brother, but they do sort of bookend this like mid-tier where it's not the JT Romitas of the world. It's not the Adley Rutschmans of the world. It's that very safe, dependable tier where you're going to get plus production from your catcher. Um, A couple of other things that I looked up while I was doing this that I thought were really interesting. So I decided to compare two years worth of data for William and Wilson. Uh, So 2022 and 2023. And these are the numbers that jumped out at me. During that time period, both William and Wilson have played in 238 games. William has 987 plate appearances. Wilson has 982. William has 37 home runs. Wilson has 42. William has eight stolen bases. Wilson has 10. William has 137 runs. Wilson has 120. William has 123 RBIs. Wilson has 122. The strikeout rates for William, 23.3%. For Wilson, 21.8%. And the WRC plus for both of them is at exactly 130. I think these might be the exact same player, and you could do well with either of them. (laughs) Shelly, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did not realize how similar they were like that, that, that's like freaking amazing. Um, but I wonder if Wilson is getting a tad bit dinged more because I mean, Scott said, oh, I was surprised to learn that Wilson hit more home runs than William. I wonder if, you know, the whole controversy with Wilson's catching has maybe brought down his price like a little bit when it comes to fantasy. Oh, because go ahead. Oh, keep, I was going to say, I think you're spot on about that. Tell me more. Yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, when I was like looking at this, at their numbers, um, you know, you know, and prepping for this podcast, I mean, I was kind of like towards Wilson just because he was cheaper, but I'm like, I'm just like Scott. I'm like, he was actually, Wilson was actually like pretty freaking good last year. Like, why is he going this low when William is going this high. Like, I mean, I love both. I mean, honestly, you could not do wrong with either or both if you're in a two-catcher league. Um, But I think that because Wilson's going later, take the chance on him. It's a really interesting point. The one place where they do sort of diverge, and I don't know how much of this is luck and how much of this is skill. And I think that William is such a young player that we're not going to know this for a season or two. It's the batting average. And that is where William Contreras over the last two seasons has put up a 285 and Wilson Contreras puts up a 254, which leads me to a caveat of an batting average. Like that 254 isn't going to sink you. You get a 254 from your catcher at either of your catcher positions. You're pretty happy with it. But that 287 is great, right? Like how many catchers are going to hit 287 over the course of a season? 
not very many. And I think that might be part of what is pushing William up. I'm just not sure how much of that is skill versus how much of that is Babib luck over the course of a season or two in two different ballparks. And um, and, and I think we're going to find that out. The, the next thing I'll say there is that I also think that Wilson's, and I can't believe I'm about to give the Cardinals a compliment because it just pains me to my soul, but Wilson's offensive situation strikes me as better than Williams' offensive situation. Like, kudos to the Brewers for adding Reese Hoskins yesterday, but like something is going on in Milwaukee with the offense. Every time I look at that team and their offensive output, it is well below average. It looks like a team that hovers around like the bottom dwellers of the league, not a team that wins the NL Central year in and year out. And so I just wonder from a run and RBI perspective, if despite the Cardinals woes last year, Wilson is not actually the safer bet. Because if you consider that those run and RBI numbers that I just rattled off that are functionally the same, William Contreras put those up with a season in Atlanta and a season in Milwaukee. Wilson Contreras put those up with a season in Chicago that was like the nadir of the Cubs, not a rebuild from Jed Hoyer, and a season in St. Louis that was the worst possible outcome for the St. Louis Cardinals. What do you think about the team context, Scott? Yeah, so... Again, this was one of those things where at first I thought it was indeed the Brewers, right? Where I was like, oh, that's going to be a better situation. They had some offense. Um, and, you know, adding Riz Hoskins was was nice for that offense. But like Sal Freelich is currently looking like he's going to bat in the heart of that lineup, right? Uh, then Riz Hoskins, Willie Adamas, maybe he bounces back, maybe not. Garrett Mitchell is, you know, he's a very volatile guy. Jackson Churio, we don't know much about in terms of how he's going to do in the majors. Uh, this, this lineup is really thin in Milwaukee. And I'm not saying it's better in St. Louis, right? Like St. Louis doesn't have like a great lineup, but when I, what I thought was going to be a big edge really turned out not to be because at least Contreras has, uh, you know, Goldschmidt in front of them, Arenado in front of them. Um, and then he's got some risk behind him, which is like Gorman and Walker, but man, like I feel a little better about those bets, right? Like I think the middle of that lineup is just going to feel a little better. So, uh, you know, the other thing I had thought about, and it wasn't quite what you talked about, but William Contreras hits a lot of ground balls for a guy that we want to hit more home runs, right? Like I know I've talked about ground 55% ground ball rate is really, really high. Uh, it is. It is, And he was like that really both halves, right? Cause I was thinking like, Oh, William Contreras, he had a really good second half. Actually, Wilson's was better. He hit 10 home runs in 45 games in the second half. Um, so again, there, there's more volatility there than I initially expected to see with William. Cause he has, his end numbers have been consistent, but there's just some things in there that really scare me, right? Like again, 55% ground ball rate. That is so high. That is very difficult to consistently succeed or consistently hit 20 home runs even with a 55% ground ball rate, especially for him. Those are outs like every time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And actually I was just looking at this and William Contreras' sprint speed is not one of his strong points. I mean, it's not great for either brother. They're in like the 30 to 35th percentile here. But like hitting a lot of ground balls when you have a sprint speed that is that low is is not really a recipe <laughs> for a ton of hits. Um, I think that that's, that is spot on. I will always be happy as long as one of the Contreras brothers is on a fantasy team. But I have to admit that over the years, I have not been able to get both of them on my teams as consistently as I would like, the one thing I will say from a catcher perspective, particularly in a two-catcher league, I want to take a catcher somewhere between where William Contreras goes and where Wilson Contreras goes. And, and as long as I have a catcher in that range and then I can pick up my second catcher later, I feel pretty happy about it in a two-catcher league. What about the two of you? Is there another range of catcher that you're more interested in? Shelly, I'll start with you. Um, I... With the one league that I have drafted, you know, in an NFBC, you know, uh, DC, um, I went Logan O'Hoppy and, um, oh, who's the guy on uh, the Padres? Camposano. Uh, Camposano, thank you. Yeah, so I went with those two, and I think that's a completely fine. Like, you're not going to like, – that, that's, that's the thing with, like, catcher, I mean, this year. It's like as long as you can get in, like, a good middle – um, it, it's totally fine. You shouldn't have to pay too much for them. Just make sure you don't get honestly past Capisano. Like I was hoping that he was going to follow my drafts. I'm like, please, God, please, please. I cannot, you know, pick up like that next catcher 
you know, on ADP levels um, after Campusano. So like that was like the bare bones. So maybe try to get like a little bit, you know, eager to pick up a catcher before those two. But that's kind of where I'm looking at. I'm literally looking for who the catcher is that goes after Campusano right now. <laughs> Campusano goes at 194 uh, ADP average since January 1st. And the next guy off the board is uh, Tyler Soderstrom. Or no, I'm sorry, Tyler Stevenson. Two different Tylers doing the catcher drill. Tyler Stevenson for Cincinnati. So yeah, Shelly, I think you're absolutely right. Campusano is probably the firewall there. That brings up an interesting thing about Wilson Contreras and his playing time before I go to Scott with this question, which is that I actually think he's going to DH a lot more next year because it does not appear that the Cardinals like his backstop skills. But for me, that just means one, Yvonne Herrera is super interesting to me because he put up some interesting offensive numbers last year and he's the guy who's going to get those plate appearances behind the dish if Wilson is the designated hitter. And two, I look at that contract. I don't think there's any way Wilson's sitting on the bench. He's going to be a guy who throws up WRC plus and somewhere around the 120 to 130 range. He's a perfectly acceptable designated hitter and I like him in that role for the Cardinals. Scott, uh, where are you shopping for catcher? Yeah, actually the Wilson Contreras range is uh, a really nice spot. Like I liked it's after pick 100. It's even in two catcher leagues, which elevates catcher value, obviously, because the replacement level is, you know, much, much lower. I, I love Adley Rutschman. So like, I'm a little bit, I mean, he goes at 80, like around pick 50. I'm willing to do it because I love Adley Rutschman. I think the, the guy is just an, a, a phenomenal hitter, but I'm not really interested in like real Muto or Contreras or even like Will Smith at that next pick, because I just don't think they're that much better overall than like a Wilson Contreras or like a Cal Raley, right? Like I, I think that I can build a team a little better waiting 50 picks. Right. Like that's a solid, even in a 15 team league, that's a solid three rounds where right? I think the, I can get the better player and then use the later catcher. Although I'll also say my second catcher, um, I, I agree with Shelly completely. I do not want to go much past that. I've done it in years before. I'm like, Oh, I'll find a second catcher. I have never found a second catch. Like <laughs> the guy, like every once in a while, I, I find a guy that I can ride for a little while, but yeah, it just doesn't happen. Like you don't find that like, Oh, catcher in the rough that comes out. Even if like there's an inch, you know, there's, there are guys down there that are worth like throwing a dart at like someone in the chat message, Christian Bentoncourt. Sure. As a third catcher. Yeah. And like a, and a draft champions, you bet. Love that as a third catcher a guy, you can slide in later on because a catcher gets hurt or something like that. But in, in a redraft league where you simply a normal NFBC or something, you can't roster three catchers. You only get two. And I want two of them somewhere in that top, like 15 to 17. I'm just willing to wait until like, Number like I would love to own like the the eighth and like thirteenth catcher off the board, right? Like I, I'm absolutely I, I love rostering that combo because I got to wait and I still got I still got value. I still got guys who are going to be pluses versus like you know waiting and be like, well maybe out you know Alejandro Kirk figures it out again. Probably not because that power spike was really unusual and never came back. But like I, I don't want to be making those decisions, right? Or like oh yeah sure I'll get twenty home runs from Jake Rogers. And at like a 210 batting average, like you, you get so many warts so fast. Like catcher has gotten deeper. Like the guys at one through 15 are a stronger class than we've seen in years past, right? Like the last two years has gotten a lot better, but like after that is still a, a desert, right? It's a value desert. There's nothing down there um, except for like dart throws. So that that's, that's probably where I'm going. I'm like, I'm loving that range, like eight to 15 or something like that. Awesome. And two catcher leagues, we are probably coming for you at, for a future edition of Format Fights. Um, before we do that, though, let's do a quick love it or leave it from baseball this week. Just like 20 seconds from each of you. What was something that you love from baseball this week? Scott, I'll start with you. Yeah, you know, I think it's honestly just like more and more guys getting signed. Like, because to me, that's like, I don't even care who it is. Like, just get these guys on teams. Let's let's play baseball. Like, are there specific transactions that I'm like really into? <laughs> honestly, not really. Like, I love Trey Mancini, right? Like, I've loved rooting for him. Do I think he's going to be a fantasy difference maker in Miami? Probably not, right? But, but I don't care because he got signed. I love that he's on a team. I love that I get to root for him to maybe, you know, make that team and make a difference, right? Or, you know, like Matt Moore. That guy's bounced around everywhere, right? And he's he's back on the team. He's back in baseball. We are ready to do this. So so that's the stuff I like. like Miguel Sano getting a shot, right? Do I think it'll be any good? Probably not. But hey, we are, teams are signing guys. We are ready to play baseball. Absolutely. Let's get that signing frenzy going. Shelly, what's your favorite thing from baseball this week? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I'm going to echo what Scott said as, as someone who does news over at Rotowire and does articles on transactions, it is amazing that things are actually happening. So I have something to write about. Um, but also something that I love about baseball is PitchCon. Um, it's something that I look forward to every year. Uh, we raise money for ALS. So this is something that I really looked forward to, you know, ever since like, Nick said, oh, we're going to do it again this year. This is great. We're going to do five days this year or six days or how many ever days we're doing. It doesn't really matter. But I mean, it's just like, it's just so much fun to just watch all of these panels, watch everyone who loves to talk about baseball. Come on, talk about baseball, just everything or raising money for charity. Oh, this is one of the, like one of the best weekends of the year. I agree with all of that. My, I uh, love it from baseball this week. And I love that we all went with loves rather than leaves it, leave it. Um, I, I'm going with Todd Helton making it to the Hall of Fame. I think that it has been one of those situations where there aren't enough Rockies represented in the, in the hall. And, and, and I get why, but I am, I am very happy for Rockies fans and for Todd. That'll do it for the first edition of Fantasy Feud, a baseball podcast built around all of the debates that you most want to hear about. Follow us on Twitter at PL Fantasy Feud. Uh, we will have more information about the show as time goes on and shoot us the debates that you want us to cover. We will bring on the experts and talk through them. For Shelly and Scott, I am Sarah Sanchez and thanks for joining us today.